If you're not ready to change gear neurologically, this podcast is not for you. These particularly challenging times can actually be seen as a life-giving opportunity for expansion, disguised as an impossible situation. As we grow into our own wholeness through this global great awakening, we are more aware than ever that we are all one. Join with us to raise the collective consciousness, whole and one. You've got this. Here's your host, Sheila Ihirain. Hello and welcome everyone to Whole and One with Sheila, a show designed to introduce you to the people and ideas that will bring you ever closer to mind-derived health optimization. Through a series of interviews with specially selected guests who share their own stories of love, wisdom and truth. We aim to teach you a variety of tips and techniques for self-regulation that you can carry with you in your emotional tool belt. It is absolutely paramount for wellness and a sense of well-being that we learn how to differentiate between real and perceived threats in our environment, in tandem with which we need to build a healthy relationship with the various presentations of anxiety, physically and psychologically, that inevitably follow in either case. Borrowing from an education shortcut in what I like to call the three R's first aid for panic, employing a restorative respiratory response to anxiety, however it manifests, is an ideal place to begin slowing down your heart rate by slowing down your breathing and resultantly slowing down your brain waves to allow a sense of safety ensue. Any conversation about managing anxiety requires reference to the phrenic nerve. The phrenic nerve is the body's real-time connection between the brain and the body about the status of the body. Think about it. Your brain evolved to be at a level of alertness or stress and arousal, or calm, depending on how you're breathing, depending on how mobile your body is. So, since all of the limbs can't send information to the brain and have that integrated quickly, Mother Nature devised a connection between the brain and the diaphragm called the phrenic nerve. The diaphragm is what controls movement of the lungs. Animals, by the way, that are like humans have diaphragms also because they have big brains. Animals, like reptiles, move their lungs by moving their ribs. This phrenic nerve connection with the diaphragm is used whenever you breathe involuntarily throughout the day, but you can take conscious control of it depending on how you breathe. So the brain and the body are in this constant dialogue all the time. The diaphragm is the only skeletal muscle that you can take conscious control of. You can control your heart, for example, but that's behaviorally by, for example, slowing down your breathing. So the diaphragm and breath work are key. The diaphragm is as much a limb as any other. It just happens to be on the inside of your body and it was designed to inform the brain how active you are. It moves air in and out of the lungs at a rate that you decide. Respiration sets the state of your brain and you can control respiration. 
you have a neural circuit from the brain to the diaphragm through the phrenic nerve and back to the brainstem again that controls all of that. Every system in nature has a push and a pull. Just as we have a system for stress, we have a system for calming. But unfortunately, that's the one that we need to learn about. How to engage the parasympathetic nervous system by, for example, 7-Eleven breathing, that longer, slower exhale, bringing us back to a sense of calm. We're joined on today's show by Justin Caffrey from Greystones, County Wicklow in Ireland, who's going to teach us the value of meditation over medication. Justin is a certified investment and hedge fund director, as well as a private equity professional. He's a multi-business entrepreneur in different sectors and countries and has built and sold regulated companies with seven-figure exits. All-Ireland All-Star Thought Leader in Personal Development in 2019 and 2020, Justin is now a leading global elite mindset coach and works with some of the brightest minds in the arts, business and professional sport. Justin teaches these people on his face-to-face -face courses and in his online 21-day life mastery and mindfulness course, for which he has kindly offered us a 25% discount, the code for which is in the show notes. After losing his son 10 years ago, Justin immersed himself in Western neuroscience, Eastern philosophy, and mindfulness. And he's here today to teach us the value of breathing, self-care, flow state, and do less to achieve more. Justin, you're so welcome. We were chatting before we came on air about the story of your life and wondering where we pick up the story of your life for the purpose of our listenership. So we've decided to begin that story when you were in your 20s in London, living the dream. To all intents and purposes, Justin, not a worry in the world. Yeah, well, wow. I suppose it was um, quite an experience, really. I was uh, a young 19-year-old living in Dublin at the time and uh, living in a city that was certainly a long way off compared to where Dublin is today. And I had an opportunity in banking to go into the city of London, which was the, the capital, really, of the financial world in Europe at that stage. And uh, it was a huge experience, massive roller coaster with huge opportunities, um, a lot of success in banking and then building um, my own entrepreneurial businesses over the next 10 years. So it was a crazy wild ride filled with money, success, fast cars, all the things that um, any 20 something would desire. But of course, that doesn't necessarily lead to happiness, but it certainly brought me wealth in the material sense. Wow. And to go from that then, Justin, to a whole new departure and um, so practicing mindfulness. W were you practicing mindfulness at that time? Did you have this alternative tendency at all? I think I definitely had a very good understanding of psychology. Um, I had a very good understanding of the mindset to succeed the determination, the resilience that was ever present with me. And I'd taken that from, from quite a young age and realizing that I was very determined to get to where I wanted to go in life. And I think I was particularly in fear of 
poverty. So I'd come from um, a, a relatively um, poor environment. My parents struggled financially when I was younger quite a lot. And that was really driving me forward. And I had really started to study psychology at 14 or 15 and spent a lot of time understanding emotional intelligence long before it was in vogue. And I realized that with psychology and a better understanding of, of humans, I could achieve two things. One was I could meet more girls. And that was definitely the, the leading voice when I was 14 or 15. And then secondly, I realized that it helped me uh, in the context of negotiations, in the context of, of closing deals and business interactions. So I was very focused on it, but I lacked the, the, the full kind of universe of the work, um, very much taking what I needed, but not really sitting within the entirety of the lessons. So um, I wasn't, but there'd been a, quite a few funny interactions. I remember once waiting for my parents in a restaurant in London and their flight was delayed and um, there was somebody who stood up sitting behind me in a restaurant and we got talking and he was a former Zen Buddhist monk and I spent two and a half hours talking to this guy and I thought, wow, there's a lot there and I think I need to be closer to it. And lots of times in my life, there's been really um, serendipitous moments when I've come up close to it and I've just thought, mm, it's not now, it's not now. So eventually it's now. Of course. The cooperative components of the universe are always lined up, aren't they really, Justin? We just have to get out of our own way. 100%. So at that early stage, you were focused on using your concept of psychology and philosophy to, um, to initiate, really. But you hadn't become a master of the practice. And you probably, at that stage, were using it to understand people and how they behave in, other, in order to fuel your business, really. So there was, another, there was a wholeness waiting to happen. And did you find that you needed to tame your vanities in any way? Or did you find that, um, that you were falling into practices that weren't good for you, Justin, when you were in this fast lane? I think you should mention that, but yes, you know, unsurprisingly, young men with ego in a in a in a buzzing city making money, it has never a good end. Um, and I think in many ways, I'd I'd seen friends of mine go down the wrong path when I was a teenager, and and I thought now that I'd made it and I had money and I had nice cars and I had a nice house. Society then holds you up as a success story. So you definitely start to believe your own um, story. You know, what you put out there, you start to believe and buy into. So my ego was, was significant. Um, and, and, you know, in private equity and, and, and building and owning businesses, there's a, there's a definite need for a certain amount of ego. But it became over-embellished. Um, I'd say I came pretty close to to uh drinking too much never that that never became the final point where i felt i was slipping into alcoholism but i think it's i think it's it's a slippery slope mm. um and i was definitely a workaholic so there's no question about that i had i had an insatiable appetite for for work closing the next deal finding the next moment what what will now validate me i need to mm. grab that next you know rung on the ladder and then i'll finally have have made it. Um, and, and that's a, a fairly vacuous experience because you never really move forward. You're just caught in that cycle. For sure. So thrill seeking all the time and taking your validation then from closing the next deal. 
And Justin, talk to me then about meeting the love of your life and starting your family and the dreams and aspirations that you held for that. Sure. Well, we... Well, funny enough, I, I met my wife on online dating, which was in its infancy. We met in 2004. And to kind of sum up my my ego and one type of person that I was at that moment, I had been in a relationship um, with a really nice young lady who's still good friends with me now, thankfully, many years later. But um, I wasn't probably the best person in the world to be in a relationship with. And I'd broken up with her. Her best pal just so happened to be the breakfast uh, DJ on a major radio station in the south of England. And uh, she more or less described me to a T and discussed the fact that no woman should come in 50 feet of me if they have any sense. Oh, dear. So I was basically excluded from the cities where I was living in at the moment. And I was 28 years of age. And I thought, my God, this is awful. So I discovered internet dating. And my friends were living in London. I'd moved outside of London at that stage. Um, and I started dating women on the, in the internet. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This is easy. I don't have to find commitment. This is much more casual. This is just what I need, la, la, la. And then after a few um, uh, different dates, I, I then met this, this one young lady who didn't really seem to pay a huge amount of attention to me, um, wasn't particularly impressed at all with any of my, my stories that, that usually were you know hitting the nail on the head every time. Um, and, and of course, guess what? That becomes a whole lot more interesting. Um, so she gave me a pretty hard time um pecked me on the cheek uh the night of our first date and, and left and i was staying with our friends at the time and and um they were laughing their heads off because i had to phone them up and say guys can you come back and pick me up i'm 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 at the bar you left me at um so that kind of summed up the start of our relationship and that's very much probably how our relationship has been for you know the past 16 years now um i'm 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 definitely in the passenger seat at the best of times but uh, oh. yeah very interesting. Good girl. We need to get her on here. This is amazing. So she She's has phenomenal. mass. She sounds like it. Absolutely. Yeah. So attachment types are very significant, aren't they, um, Justin? And, you know, clearly she wasn't at all the anxious attachment type. She was quite secure in herself. And you might have formerly been a little bit dismissive in your attachment type, but she was able to tame that and feed the different wolf Absolutely. And the reality is, of course, the, the level of confidence that I may have exuded at that point didn't really properly signify the level of fear and, and lack of confidence that was really going on. So she was just, you know, this Zen-like mountain in the context of, you know, her approach to life, nothing faded her, nothing fazed her. So I was, I was really taken aback by it. Um, so I, I pursued for for the better part of, of another six months and sent her flowers and got another date and slowly but surely got uh, to the point where where I, I got a, I think it was the second dinner we had where she started to think, ah, you know, maybe there is something about this guy. Um, oh. And uh, and then we got married like within six months of, of that date. Um, we got engaged, I think two or three months later. I'd never really been in a serious relationship. Work had been my absolute focus since I was 19. And um, and yeah, it was like, whoa, here we are, married. Um, and 
2005, November 2005. And we're still married. So that's Living really the good dream. Thing. Living yeah. the dream. And love is such an elixir. It's amazing. Love is the answer. It's amazing. So self-love is the most important. That's the unconditional love that we're here to, to find mastery of. And it, it's not that easy. We struggle. We all, we, we have a negative bias for all obvious reasons. Mm. And so we struggle with anxiety. And um, in, in adaptive ways, we need to know how to be anxious. It keeps us safe so we don't yep. step out in front of a bus. Or if we do, we know to tear off and get out of its way. But then um, in a toxic environment or uh, if our practices aren't good and if our attention is split, it's very easy for us to fall into a worry cycle. And the, the red pill, the decoding and recoding, Capacity comes from love, self-love, but it's not always easy, Justin, is it, to stay in love with self and the stuff of life can trip us up. So you guys were madly in love and you had this beautiful new chapter beginning in your life and you were blessed with baby number one. Yeah, baby number one. So Luca um, arrived in our life in um, 20th of April, 2007, and that was a fantastic moment. Um, we we were so pleased. Luca was born with cleft lip and palate, so we we were presented with challenges. But at that stage, you know, we're very we're both very pragmatic people, and I've kind of given you a, a fairly good description of, of Beatrice, and and I'm very pragmatic too. So we knew that we'd have surgeries, and Lucas had had um, probably nine or ten surgeries now throughout his life. But you know, otherwise, he's super healthy. Um, he's, he's such a great kid. Um, he's gone on 14 this year. Um, and, and yeah, so that was, that was great. Um, and it was shocking and amazing. And all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're parents and yeah, life was great. Life was business was flying. Um, our relationship was great. Everything that, that, that we would want to happen at that point was happening. Um, and, uh, you think, We've got this master, right? This life thing. I know, I know. Got it sorted, and then and 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 well done you to be able to keep all of those balls in the air. So it's really difficult to keep the plates on sticks. New baby, keeping the business going, um, and working on your relationship because it's extremely important that we continue. Well, to be honest, I always suggest work on self, and the relationship looks after itself. So as long as we're, and it sounds to me like Beatrice is quite. Uh, a trailblazer when it comes to self-love and um, self-actualization. And I, I can definitely glean from you that you're mirroring that amazing sense of self, which I'm so impressed with. And beginning a new family life then, it's a whole new chapter. It's very different and very new. And it can go any way, really. And we all, as we're all human, um, and we need to really work on it. And you guys were doing your very best with that. And you were blessed with another lovely baby. Well, certainly you were blessed with the fabulous news that there was another lovely baby on the way. And, and, and the story gets a little, the road gets a bit bumpy at that stage, doesn't it, Justin? Yeah. I mean, le leading up, leading up to, to baby number two, we had three miscarriages and we, we had decided after the third miscarriage that we weren't going to go on anymore. And we we're just cognizant of Beatrice's health at that stage. So, so we thought, well, let's stop. And just when we decided to let's stop, turned out she was pregnant. Um, and, uh, you know, the universe was was working um, with us and there was still an opportunity. So we were very grateful. Um, she went through uh, 
through to the second trimester, everything was um, going well, which was fantastic because you're quite nervous going through those those phases after what we've been through. And we decided when she was just coming up to to six months that we would take uh, a, a week away in the sun. So we flew um, from the UK where we lived at that stage to to Spain for a week's vacation. And um, then three days into that, our waters broke. We were 150 miles from the nearest town, never mind even knowing where the maternity hospital was. So chaos ensued. We traveled through the night. We found a maternity hospital. They stabilized her um, for a few days, but then she started bleeding. Um, it was an emergency cesarean, and Joshua was was born at 26 weeks um, and given absolutely no hope at the point at which he arrived into the world. Wow. That is just enough to stop you in your tracks, isn't it, Justin? It's just all consuming and um and you were in spain and you had your other lovely little boy with you so it was all very different the logistics were just you know so mind-bogglingly difficult so how did you manage what happened at that point i think really sheila the one thing i learned through that and and through loads of other experiences in my life up until that point is that human beings have this capacity to manage when they're put under pressure and and we all can step up and if we're all able to face into the responsibilities that we have, especially when there's young children around. And we had a three-year-old and he needed security and safety. Um, so we had to try and figure out how to do that. So he ended up going into a, a local creche um, because Beatrice was in hospital. Joshua was in hospital. Um, we were initially living in a hotel. Then I found us a house and... Um, you know, we we just mustered our way through. We we ended up in Spain for for the better part of a year, and and in that time, I think we lived in four different houses, um, trying to find the right place and trying to find the right place close to the hospital and then the schools and all that kind of stuff. But but you know, I think it's the the the, the human spirit has this tenacity when it's under pressure, and it's it's quite astounding. So we managed, you know, we got through it as best as we could. You know, we, we certainly weren't experts, but, but, you know, with love and support and, and belief, mm-hmm. we, we, kept, we kept the show on the road. And connection, I'm sure at this stage you had connected with home. Home were with you in the background, probably over and back to you, I'm sure, um, jumping in and out insofar as they possibly could to help in whatever way they could they possibly could. It's all, it was all very difficult. It was all very odd. And you, and you were, as you say, just doing your level best with those very challenging circumstances. Was Beatrice out of hospital at this stage? From the yeah. Very early, yeah. So she, she was in hospital for about 10 days and then, and then she was out. So we, we then spent the, you know, we were, we were there now for just under a year and we kind of rotated our days really so that one of us would be with Joshua. The other one would be with, with Luca um, every so often we'd have somebody come over, um, somebody come over family wise from, from Ireland or Ger- Beatrice is German. So from Germany and that would just give us a little bit of respite. Um, but it was intense beyond belief. Um, I broke my foot in the middle of all this as well. So I spent about, uh, I think it's been about seven weeks on crutches going into neonatal intensive care, desperately being mindful of, of how I'm, how I'm getting about. So I remember breaking my foot and just thinking, really, like, 
I know. But it's, that's it's happened now. I know. But that is the time that it's going to happen, isn't it? Because your attention Absolutely. is so split. You're, you're just running on empty. And it, of course, it's the very time, oh, just and poor you, how very difficult. And of course, like that, logistically, it just adds to everything because even making your way in and out of hospital and looking after Luca and trying to be there supportively for Beatrice, you can be doing without being on crutches. You need the two hands to make the coffees and, yeah, support. Okay, so what a challenging time. And in the meantime, we have lovely little Joshua fighting for his life. Amazing little guy pushing through all of the developmental stages to the best of his ability. Tell us all. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was, he spent um, five months in neonatal intensive care. And during that stage, he had pneumonia twice. He had a collapsed lung. He had to have complete blood transfusions. Um, he was intubated twice. So his his life was hugely challenging. But we got some light at the end of the tunnel that coming into the sixth month, they said that he was starting to show signs that that he could um, have what they what they they call in in, in Spain um, house hospital which means that you can, if you live within, I think it was two kilometers of the hospital and the physicians could call, then you could take these babies that needed constant care into a home environment. Cause it's, you know, it's terrible to be medicated in, in that environment for five months of his entire life. So we, so we, we agreed to do this um, and we trained to be his carers because he was tube fed. He was oxygen dependent. We had to kind of vacuum out his lungs several times a day um, so he had lots of challenges and we knew that there was neurological issues with Joshua longer term um, because of the trauma of his arrival and the, and the, and the um, early arrival. But, you know, your parents and, and you see past all that. So we, we got a chance to, to get him out. We got a, we got a, um, a house um, very close by to the hospital um, and and then the intensity went through the roof because we now had no hospital support other than when they'd come around each day to check that he's okay. And maybe it was every two days, I think. So we were then taking care of Joshua through the night and one of us would be on call at night. And then the other one would be dealing with Luca during the day and trying to kind of meet each other from time to time. And that period was crazy. I remember many times just, You'd find the moment, and you and you, we we kind of had an, an unwritten deal between myself and Beatrice that was, when one of us was really struggling, the other one knew, okay, I've got to step up today. So for me, those struggling days would be sitting on the floor of the shower, crying, just thinking like, where has my life gone? What has gone on? And then you go, okay, all right, get it, get back in the game. Here yeah. we go, round two, and yeah. and we kept going. It's that survival instinct, isn't it, Justin, that you talked about? It's just, it doesn't feel natural, but it is natural. And when we realize that, then we can take a little bit more from it. But at the point that we think it's something that we're having to leverage, when we feel the separation and the polarity, it's too difficult. So when we can find that wholeness again and realize that we are part of um you know, divine intelligence and that there, that we are actually in a hammock. We just don't know it. We, we just get that little bit of a, a sense of being safe again. So we're coming into a break now, Justin, and I think it's probably quite an ideal time for a segment of refreshment. And when we come back, we're going to pick up that amazing story of Joshua's fabulous brief 
but very, very inspirational life. Don't go anywhere, guys. Back in a few. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Hold in One with Sheila. To reach the program today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Outside of North America, reach us at 001 480 553-5760 or send Sheila an email from the Voice America show page. Now back to Whole and One. Well, hello and welcome back everybody. You are tuned to Whole in One with Sheila on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And I'm chatting today with Mr. Justin Caffrey from Greystones, County Wicklow in Ireland, all about the story of his life how his life has completely changed. He's on a 360 degree turnaround in his life from Mr. Entrepreneurial, fast track, uh, aspirant, um, more whole person to very whole person, influencing the world with all of his courses on mindfulness and mindset change. You're very welcome back, Justin. Lovely to be chatting with you. Thank you. Justin, we got to a point in our chat just before the break um, about Joshua's journey. So Joshua's stay was brief. But there, in the words of Christy Keneally, there are many who have lived long lives and not been loved as he. And at the stage that um, you were minding him at home, it was very challenging. You found yourself having hospital visits on occasions to check in with you. But really, the burden of minding and caring rested with yourself and Beatrice. And you still had Luca to look after. Yeah, it was it was incredibly stressful, um, incredibly challenging. I think 
it was a very mindful time though too because we were completely present to what was going on you know what 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 was going on in the rest of the world was a complete irrelevance you know if if the if the if the news was bad if the the world was on fire we didn't know um so in some ways we we bonded so well as a team um and you know we had some great times with luca during those times as well so I have some great memories and great photographs so you you know the the human spirit just has got this capacity to rise up um so we we you know we we survived it um it it was incredibly challenging but the 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 challenge really for us was where do we go from here and we had been speaking at that stage to um a specialist charity in, in Ireland called Jack and Jill, um, who provide care for terminally ill children. Um, and the guy who's the head of, of Jack and Jill at the time, Jonathan Ehrman, was a friend of mine. Um, I knew Jonathan through horse racing because I, I was a, I was an owner um, of racehorses. And then I'd actually come across Jonathan through a fundraising event, literally just before Joshua arrived. Um, and if you want to know the power of, of the universe and serendipity and what we all had, um, I had made my biggest personal donation to a charity outside of company stuff, which we'd ever done. And the next thing I needed the same charity, mm-hmm. I needed their logistical help. How do we get a sick baby out of Spain? But Joshua wasn't well enough to be flown by air ambulance. So the whole thing was if we had him at home, we went through rehabilitation with him that there might be a window where we could where we could get him out. And that was the aim. We were focused on on that for um it was probably gonna be the the first or second week of January. So that would have been just coming up to twelve months. Um but in the five months when we had him at home, he needed to go back to hospital a couple of times. And then on Christmas Eve he he took really bad again. We couldn't sustain him on the oxygen supplies we had at home. We brought him back to hospital. The, the physicians who would normally tend to Joshua were not there because it was Christmas. Different team were there. They intubated him, which is which is for all the rehab that you can do with a small baby. The minute they intubate, intubate the baby, you're back to square one. Um, and uh, Christmas Day, they they called us in. So we went home that Christmas night late. Um, which was great because we made sure that Luca had a great Christmas morning because that was a big focus, hold all that in, in good shape. But they called us in and said, look, they don't think he's going to make it. We arrived. He, he did pull through, but they said to us, if we had known the story, we wouldn't have intubated again. They said, you know, this would have been the fourth intubation. They said, it's just, it's, it's come too far. He hasn't got the strength to live and it's time as hard and all as it is for you guys to let go. Um, so we had to we had to resign ourselves to the fact that we weren't going to get him out of Spain, that the the year that had been, we tried everything that we could um, and we were able to organize in the, in the next couple of days to have him come home with us to our house in Spain. And we spent about two and a half weeks together where we were able to strip away so much of his medical needs um, be together as a family and to have him die with us, which was mm-hmm. as hard and all as that is probably to hear more than it is for me to say now because I can find so much strength within that whole period. It was a very peaceful end to to his life um, because he he needed at that stage to 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 find 
a different place, a different space. Of course. He, he had done his very best to hang around in physical shoes for as long as he could. He was bringing some wisdom and he had to hang around until you guys learned whatever it was you needed to learn at that time. And uh, he did that very beautifully. And Luca bonded with him, in, particularly yeah. in those couple of weeks. It was quite timely, wasn't it, Justin, that yeah. um, when Joshua said his final farewell, there was a very special experience really that night and and more so probably well for you and Beatrice and then I suppose recapitulated by Luca the following morning in his story yeah it was quite extraordinary so um when Luca being with Joshua was really important to us and in in Joshua's struggles over the months he he was struggling physically at the best times to move around the only time he ever followed anybody around a room or the house with his eyes and turned was Luca so there was this really unbelievable connection between the two of them and Luca just loved him so much. And um, when when Joshua died the, um, that morning, um, we my my parents were with us. They'd taken Luca out and down to the beach where we were in Spain, just so he wasn't there when the when the hearse came, and and that wasn't something that we wanted him to see. But um, when he came back with the day that we'd been through it and, and Luca was four at this stage we thought well look tomorrow we'll sit him down and we'll explain what's happened and we just said to him look Joshua's back in hospital again which was an unusual and uh, and we thought we'll cross that bridge tomorrow we were as you can imagine pretty exhausted ourselves um so we 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 settled Luca into bed that night and um and Beatrice came into into the bedroom and said to me um can you just go and give Luke a kiss goodnight and just tell me if you notice anything? So I was like, well, okay. So I went in to give Luke a kiss goodnight. And as I went close to Luke to give him a kiss goodnight, I could smell Joshua. I could smell his breath. I could smell his hair. I could smell his face. And Luca hadn't even been with him that day. And it was a really intense presence and it really threw me and I, I I just I was overwhelmed when I went back in and and of course I knew immediately that's what she meant so we were we were just amazed by it but at the same time right you know our son had died that day and you don't really have a sense of what's happening at this moment so we we finally got some sleep that night and in the next morning we we were woken by Lucas standing at the end of our bed and and he was just standing there babbling something to us and as we were kind of coming around we realized that he was standing there telling us that baby Joshua had made the sun come up that morning and I said to him sorry what did you say and he said oh yeah he said baby Joshua made the sun come up and I said how did you do that and he said oh I saw his face out the window and I could see his face going up into the sky and then the sun was beside his face and then his face went all the way up into the sky. And it was, um, you know, I'm, I come from a private equity, investment management, hedge fund world. I'm, I'm very pragmatic in my approach. Um, this threw me, to say the least, but it exposed me to the idea that there is just way more bigger things than, than our mere existence going on. Um, in the world and the universe so it was a, it was a beautiful end and the connection between Luke and Joshua lives on till this day um, and Luke is a very very amazing 
kid with a huge amount of emotional intelligence. And I think he probably has it in, in double. Of course he does. Of course he does, because he has his brother hanging around, making sure that he's drip feeding in whatever he yeah. needs. Absolutely. That is the most beautiful story, Justin, and told so poignantly as well, um, as only a dad could. So thank, thank you, you for sharing that. And obviously then, Justin, that um, informs this change in your life. So that that without a shadow of a doubt, that has to be, you know, the impetus for any change that's ever going to happen. Let's hope it's good. It's definitely going to happen after that. So tell us how your life has changed since then. So what, you're not off out in the fast lane, ripping up the, the roads in uh, your Lamborghini anymore. What are, no. you, what are you doing first thing in the morning these days? So now, yeah, life is very different. Um, so uh, roll roll forwards to to today. Um, I've been I've been vegan for the past four years. Um, I stopped drinking alcohol. I think five years ago. Um, I become um, very spiritual in in my own pursuits. So I found um, Shigendo, which is which is a, a Japanese. Um, religion um, aligned with Shintoism and Buddhism. So meditation is a huge part of, of my practice and my spiritual practice. Um, but I, I, I struggled with, with PTSD probably two years after Joshua's death because although I was very present throughout the time when he was, when he was alive, I didn't mourn properly. Um, which goes back to this whole idea, as I said at the very start, about this. I had this great connection, understanding of psychology, but I didn't understand the spirituality, the human essence of what it is to really be and to accept everything in our lives and be open to what's here. So that was great because the universe came and gave me another really good lesson there and gave me a panic attack in a in a in a very important meeting um, in 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 my uh, company at the time. So by 2014, I thought, okay, I need to get out of this world and sell my shares and resign from my board, um, find myself. I retrained um, as a therapist. I went into therapy with, with an incredibly spiritual, wonderful um, Indian psychiatrist who helped me in so many ways. And his therapy was all built around meditation. And once I'd completed my own therapy with him in, I think, maybe four months, I said to him, okay, I want to learn everything that we've just been through, which allowed me to connect back to the lost child that I've gave up on, who was 14 or 15 years of age. And that was where my emotional intelligence really was. So it gave me a great opportunity to do that. And then to be able to take so many of the lessons that I'd learned and bring them into helping other people. And it's brought me into taking a master's in mindfulness-based interventions um, to study an awful lot around the neuroscience of mindset, sports psychology, and all these different areas, which are, which are exciting. But ultimately, sharing a little bit of wisdom that we can all recover from whatever we have in life. You know, that was a big trauma, but everybody's got smaller traumas and, and everything is recoverable if we're okay to just take a bit of time. Oh, that's such a fabulous message. And that's what people need to hear right now. That is literally, that's the elixir. That's the nutriment that we need to know we can find in the world around us. But we have to reach for it. We've got to use our innate resources, Justin, and our emotional GPS, as it were. And you've, you're using your emotional GPS in a very specific way. You're, you've got these amazing courses online that I encourage everybody to buy into. You've got a Follow Justin, follow his every word and um, buy his courses because they are life-changing. And Justin, your 
swimming in cold water. So cold water swimming, tell us about that. So we all, you're using all of your innate resources to have your basic emotional needs met very healthily and in balance so that you can stay in homeostasis. Share with us, how do you do this? Swimming in cold water. Yeah, well, right now it's very cold. So we're, we're in the winter months. And I think the the what's interesting for me about cold water is that it's part of so within shigendo as as yamabushi we we, we train in 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 the remote mountains of shanai in in northern japan and part of our master training in yamabushi is learning to meditate in the waterfalls from the snow-capped mountains so we go um on these very grueling um retreats as part of our yamabushi training and a part of that conditioning is is the cold water, and it's it's not so much the pain of being in the cold water. It's being able to notice that when you sit with anything, it eventually has some ease and it dissipates. So we use cold water as a mechanism to show that the human spirit has a capacity to alternate between nervous systems. So to step away from the fight, flight, freeze. Because if you put a human being into cold water, they immediately go into fight, flight, and freeze. But if you learn how to breathe, you then switch the nervous system around. And the Yamabushi have been doing this for 1,450 years. It's become fashionable in the West in the last 20 years. People are now going, oh, look, cold water has interesting health benefits. But they've known about it for a long, long time. And it's really helpful in the context of its capacity to allow us to understand that we can be masters of our own inner critic, our own inner spirit, our own capacity to boost our immunity. So the studies around cold water are immense and they lean perfectly into meditation because meditation and cold water both provide more or less the same um, impact on our um, neuroplasticity, but also on the balance within the nervous system. Meditation takes a little bit longer and it's more of a practice over the longer term. But each one will bring you to the same place. There's a there's a huge correlation between the two of them, and and that's especially um, relevant within shigendo and yamabushi practices. Absolutely. And for people listening, then Justin, that want to bring these good practices into their lives, not everybody can get to a place where they can immerse themselves in cold water. And I encourage everybody to check you out on LinkedIn and various other platforms to see the lovely videos that you post. I mean, I just, I personally find it part, it's part of my own practice is to watch you in practice because number one, I can't get, well, I do live quite coastally. I don't know what my excuses are, but I don't go to, to immerse in the cold water. Not yet. I'm going to meet you in Greystone someday and do it. But I, I've been doing it in the shower and in the bath. So it is possible to ease your way into that practice in yes. order to experience it. And even if it's not for long, and even if it's not something that you feel is feels very natural to you or something that you're going to do over a long while, it certainly helps you to become aware of your breathing. If nothing else, become aware of your breathing, which is huge for managing your emotions in any given moment. So very much giving you the power and control back that you might have lost if you see a trigger for danger in your environment and if you begin to feel anxious. So you have a particular breathing style that you encourage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a really simple practice is to to move towards a little bit of cold water. So at the end of the shower, just think about 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Take it steady because cold water is a shock to the system. But 
really what I would encourage you to do within cold water is just to connect to the breath. So notice that your breath becomes heightened. The, the tension in the chest becomes heightened and just start to breathe. So it's, it's not about trying to get to a particular point or, or breathe a certain way. Just find the capacity to breathe through it. And as you start to breathe through it, your body starts to go, oh, okay, this isn't going to kill us. The reaction is because the body thinks it's under threat. So just finding that capacity to breathe in the shower will be quite an amazing experience. And you start to notice that you have got some sovereignty over lots of things in your life. And and that, that immediate flash into the nervous system is just how anxiety and stress and depression and everything else play out in your life. So you're, you're starting to train the mind and you can do it with cold water and then you can also do it within a meditation practice which is within the within the online courses i bring these two things together just to show you that you don't need a whole bunch of tools all of the things that you need are always here right under your nose your breath principally being number one absolutely because as soon as we become aware of our breathing we can slow down our heart rate and once we slow down our heart rate that has an immediate effect on the pace of the brain waves. And so we can probably come out of sympathetic um, response and perhaps, so a lot of people are suffering from polyvagal response to the world. So they're falling into dorsal vagal, they're falling down sick. They don't know why they're constantly sick, lacking energy, lack, you know, don't know where their mojo is gone. Not understanding that there's a mind-body connect that Absolutely. actually uh, we have power over. And it's just so lovely to hear you talking. We've heard your story. It's an interesting story. It's a colorful story. It's um, an inspirational story, but you're real. You're not a superhuman. You're, you're, you bleed like us, you cry like Absolutely. us. So if you can do this, we can do this. And we can mirror it because we can align to you and we can watch the course of your life. So you've set yourself up now to do this humanitarian work to post on all of these platforms and give people these sound bites and these little visual experiences that they can buy into to just for a grip on a sheer wall, you know? So when you're having a tough day, you can check and see, well, look, Justin is my brother from another mother. He did it. I can do this. And so little things, Justin, like definitely experiencing the cold water so that we manage our breathing, meditating, becoming familiar with, so practicing in our mind's eye, how we want our life to be. Do you have other practices that you can recommend that we could do in a very easy, effortless way to bring So for people who are really trying to start this yeah. and don't have a whole lot of time to dedicate to it, where can they start in a very accessible way? Well, I mean, some of the, some of the really simple things are to find the capacity to be just with yourself for even short periods of time. You know, we often spend so much of our time distracting ourselves so, you know, we're in the bathroom now and we're on our phone. We're not taking any time on our own anymore. And even in the shower, I often ask people, you know, when you're in the shower, do you have time to reflect? And of course, everybody plans their whole day and worries about everything else. And a lot of people come out of the shower and they don't even know if they've washed themselves. So finding the time to slow down is key. And the, my mantra to, to all of my clients is finding this capacity to do less and by doing less, accomplish more. So a simple little practice could be just saying that you're going to have five minutes every day where you're just going to sit with yourself. 
just going to sit in a chair, a nice chair where you've got some views of the outside world and just find that time to sit and breathe. And the studies around mindfulness and meditation show that even five minutes a day of just slowing down drops the anxiety rate, the depression rate, improves the immunity, helps you tap into the system. It will help you build a practice. And when you start to do something on small scale, then you think, wow, what would it be like if I had devoted a little bit more time to this? So just finding the time to sit and breathe. We don't need to make this complicated. We just need to find a connection back to ourselves. And that's what I lost. And it's that capacity to come back to yourself. And that's where you will find a healing. Oh, that's amazing, Justin. Thank you. And thank you for making it so real and so accessible. And I know that everybody that's listening is going to build in that just that five minutes and to turn down the dial on the shower to slightly cooler, slightly cooler, and then to freezing. And we can all shout, Justin, when we're doing it, just to practice. We can, that exhale could be Justin. And wherever we need to start, let's just start. Let's just start and gear towards wholeness and wellness because we can do that. We can get into the operating system. You know, those, um, those neural pathways that we've hardwired over years and years, we can get into that operating system when we just sit with ourselves. You know, tame your brain like you would train a puppy dog to just sit there. You can get back on your phone in five minutes. You can get, you know, eat, have your coffee in five minutes. Just be with self, sit with it. It's a beautiful and a very real way to start, to begin. So we're coming very near the end of our show, Justin. And uh, just before we do, I want to thank you so very much for your wisdom, uh, for your kindness, for your openness and for your vulnerability. And I want to encourage everybody to please, when they listen to this, tap into that vulnerability that you were willing to access to share with us. And remember that we're all human and we can all do that. And in our vulnerability, we have great strength. That's really where the authenticity lies. So just before we close, Justin, what does hole in one mean to you in a nutshell? I think it's a, it's a wonderful phrase. And I think the whole for me immediately signifies the wholeness of ourselves. I once tried to pursue the trophy, but instead stop connecting to the wholeness of ourself, the oneness of our being, knowing that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So be kind to yourself. I love it. I love it. And of course, we're all one and we really are. And that is, for me, that is where, that's what I lean into. That's where I find my peace, my tranquility. That's where I medicate now when, when I need to. Um, I do meditate and I exercise and I'm very lucky to be able to be living in a very wholesome and happy way, which is great. But we all find that the separation um, is quite a trip hazard. And when I need to, I just remember divine intelligence and the universal mind. And I remember, listen, the universe has me in its focus, knows exactly what I need and is delivering. And if it's doing that for me, it's doing that for all of us. So that's the oneness. Exactly. Exactly. Justin, we could talk for hours. Uh, we did in our orientation meeting, and I yep. loved it. I, I, we chatted since about the profound effect that conversation had on me and on my life. And I thank you wholeheartedly for joining me today, for everything that you've shared, and uh, for the friendship that I'm delighted we've begun. And I hope we can chat very soon again. Thank you very much. Thank I you. just want to sign off now, guys, to say thank you very much to all of you for listening. 
Tune in every Wednesday, 12 noon Pacific time and 8 p.m. GMT. Listen out for your story in ours. You can't rewrite the beginning of your story, but we can help you to write a totally different ending. Whole and one, you've got this. Thank you again for joining us for Whole in One. Please join your host, Sheila E. Hirine, for another edition of this amazing program next Wednesday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we meet again, remember no matter the question, love is the answer. You've got this. <laughs>